It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And thank you also for subscribing. If you haven't already, please do subscribe. Uh, and also, if you haven't become a patron of the program, maybe consider becoming a patron of the program too, like Gene and Ben and Alan and Ron and Juanita and Pamela and Stephen and Nancy and Jim and Robbie and Jan and Daryl. They became patrons of the program. They get exclusive content. They get to participate in the live streams. They get the bumper stickers. And of course, they get the uh, the warm feeling, the sense of pride, knowing that they are supporting the show. Okay, so uh, not that you should do it for that. Just do it for the bumper stickers. Either way, go to the dot com and uh, become a patron of the program. Today is President's Day, which reminds me the President's Day sale is going on in Mattress Man. Four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Uh, always, of course, 24-7 at mattressmanstores.com, which you can go to the website and check out all the inventory that they've got there, which is a ton, by the way. But for the President's Day sale, you can score a free box spring with the purchase of a Biltmore mattress. These are luxurious, high-quality mattresses made by Restonic out of Fayetteville, and these are the mattresses that are at the hotel and the inn uh, on the grounds of the Biltmore Estate, and they are sold exclusively at Mattress Man. So uh, go on over to the website or stop in on uh, into any of the four stores. Uh, also, you can pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses and take advantage of the zero down, zero APR for 24 months and zero payments for 90 days. The triple zero financing deal uh, going on at Mattress Man. They ship nationwide. They have local five-star delivery service and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. So experience the difference at Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com, buy local and sleep better. All right, so Donald Trump now has become the only president to be impeached twice and acquitted twice. Uh, I'm not so sure this is a victory actually for anybody. I, th- I know there are a lot of Trump supporters that are saying, you know, yay, look at us. You know, we beat it twice. And I understand like he didn't get convicted. He didn't uh, of the impeachment charge. I understand that. And it's definitely better to be acquitted <laughs> than to be convicted. I totally understand that and agree. Um, but I, I don't know if I would be celebrating as much. The fact that 57 out of 100 <laughs> voted to convict, you know, I'm not sure that that's exactly the winning <laughs> that I was expecting, but he did not get convicted. <clears throat> and so this is, you know, the Trump uh, supporters are very happy about it. Democrats not so happy. I think they actually botched this. Um, they're claiming that, you know, Trump was let off on a technicality. It's not a technicality. He was let off because this was a political process as impeachments are, as you told us they were the last time around, right? By the way, I I do wonder, what would this outcome have been like had there not been a first impeachment? I I do wonder that. If Democrats had not gone ahead with the last impeachment, which, let's be honest, that was ridiculous, had had they not done that and gotten nothing out of that, 
then maybe this would have had some extra credibility. Maybe if Democrats had, I don't know, professed some level of outrage about the burning of cities and the violence against our uh, our governmental institutions and our law enforcement agents, maybe I would have, uh, I don't know, some respect for their arguments and for their position. But they just smack of rank hypocrisy to me. They have no credibility on this issue. They don't. And so you want me to hold this guy to a standard that they that that, the, that you're banking on enough Republicans still holding. And what we found out is they don't. Now, maybe they never did. And by the way, that doesn't mean you have that standard either. You're not living by those standards because you're engaging in the same kind of rhetoric. I mean, you've got a vice president. I mean, as long as we're impeaching people that aren't even in office anymore, right? We're trying them for impeachment because, well, technically Trump was impeached while still president, but the trial didn't begin until after he was gone. And by the way, yes, that was Mitch McConnell's doing. And so there is a lot of anger being directed at Mitch McConnell right now because he made, and I've got his comments, we're going to play them. um, He made some comments that basically agreed with the Democrats' position on this, that Trump did not to the legal definition of incite the mob, but he did. He bears, what did he say, ethical responsibility for what happened on January 6th. But it was also Mitch McConnell who would not call the Senate back in to have the trial in order to remove Trump from office before January 20th. And now McConnell uses that, the timing of it, as the escape hatch as the rationale for why he can't convict, (laughs) because you can't convict someone who's no longer in the elective office cited in the law you are using to impeach him. And by the way, I agree with that argument. I do. I don't think you can impeach somebody after they're out of office, especially when the law says you can impeach somebody for these things and that person is the president, the vice president, or uh, somebody in civil office. Well, he's not in any of those. So you're using this law to go after him now to punish him uh, in a political process. That's what the impeachment proceeding is. It's a political process, right? That's what the Democrats told us the last time. It's not a trial. This isn't a trial. Well, if you want to go after Trump for incitement, then go after him in the judicial system now, because that's the remedy available to you. Now, the standard is going to be way different than in an impeachment in the Congress, as it should be, because impeachment in the Congress is political, but it's also being tried, especially in this case, you're being tried by the people who were the victims in this case, right? You've got, think about that. You've got the people who are sitting in judgment of you, the jury in this supposed trial, not a trial, not really legal, it's just political, but the jurors and the people prosecuting you were all victims, (laughs) Right? They were the ones who were uh, targeted by the mob on January 6th. I would submit that's not exactly a fair trial. I don't think it's good to put the victims on the jury. That's just me. Maybe I have some crazy ideas about how uh, a fair trial should be administered, but uh, th- that's my position. I don't think victims should be on the jury when deciding someone's fate. Now, there is a line of thinking here, as expressed on Twitter by a fellow named R.B. Pundit, and uh, he said, look, Trump had already lost. He was out of office, and a bunch of his cultists had rioted and made themselves look like idiots. And that would have been the final image of the Trump presidency. But no, 
the D.C. smart set decided they would give Trump a win. You could have just let him whine about losing the election, but you guys handed him this victory. Because here's the thing. Everybody knew that the Senate was not going to convict him. Everyone knew this. There weren't enough votes. And the the uh, Democrats, who were the House managers, the prosecutors, basically, they did such a poor job of of trying to, uh, you know, credibly build a case to give Republicans some cover. But even then, even if they hadn't, you know, uh, selectively edited video clips, even if they hadn't had doctored evidence and submitted it and then had to, you know, were forced to retract it off the record, like even if they hadn't had done that sort of th- sort of thing, then um, you still had Republicans that were really afraid of angering the the GOP Trump loving base. You're asking them to vote against the people that put them in office. And the Democrats go out and they make this argument that, well, the principles should matter. And the never Trumpers like the principles should matter. And I get that argument and I'm sympathetic to that argument. But that's an argument that might have worked a decade ago. We are now at a point where nobody cares about this stuff. They don't. And what you're demanding of the Republicans is that they start caring about it first, which coincidentally happens to align perfectly with your political agenda. So you're asking them to abide by standards you don't abide by. Right. You're asking them to adopt these standards, these principles, because, you know, some things are more important than politics. But I haven't seen any example that you guys actually adhere to that yourselves. So once again, you're demanding a different set of rules that your opponents play by. And what Trump has done in the Republican Party has conveyed the message to the GOP base and a lot of the leaders that none of that matters anymore. None of that matters. These are the rules. I, I was particularly interested. There was one fella, uh, lefty guy, who posted something on Twitter about how, you know, these are the new rules. From now on, we're going to play by the same rules that you're set up. Like, you guys are the party of Calvin Ball. You guys are the ones that constantly adopt new standards and new rules for whatever the circumstances require for you to come out on top. I've talked about this for years, and I've given so many examples. I'm not going to go over them all. I equate it to the tie goes to the runner. You know, this idea when you're playing in the sandlot in, in, uh, you know, uh, baseball and, uh, you know, you're running to first base on a ground ball and oh the here comes the throw and you cross the plate right at the same time or cross the base right at the same time tie goes to the runner and that's the rule that the left always wants us to play by where they're always the runner they always get the tiebreaker for them it's like well you know i know we can't really come to an agreement on this stuff so why don't you just let us win what do you think is behind this whole call for unity now like they really don't even see it That's how you get a Jeep commercial with Bruce Springsteen, who got busted for a DUI or something. But that's how you have that Jeep commercial where it's like, you know, reunited, reunite. Wait wait a minute. So like that's just a slap in the face to all the Trump supporters, because you're saying that the only reason we're not united is because of them. Like you guys have nothing to do with any of this. Like the last four years didn't happen. Like you can just call the president a Nazi and a racist and a KKK member and a fascist. And you can, you know, illegally wiretap his campaign. You can frame job his his campaign officials like you can do all of that stuff. And we're not supposed to, I don't know, have questions about that. 
We're not supposed to see that as dangerous when you mount your, you know, silent coup. You're allowed to do that. But Trump's not allowed to incite his people. Look, I'm not justifying any of it. I'm not defending any of it. All I'm saying is these are the new standards. Hypocrisy carries no political purchase any longer. It just doesn't. Nobody cares. Everyone in the in the political arena realizes that they cannot oust their own because they need as many allies as possible. And so what the left is trying to do is to drive a wedge between the, you know, establishment Republicans and the Trump Republicans. To Because, look, those two groups not really fans of each other. They're not. And so the left is trying to capitalize on that, much like you should capitalize on going to old Grouch's military surplus because he gets new stuff in all the time. By the way, he's always looking for stuff too. So if you've got some items that uh, you want to uh, bring on down, bring them on down. Tim at old Grouch's military surplus is happy to take a look at them. Winter is here. He's got cold weather gear. Springtime is coming. He's got the warmer gear for uh, the warm weather gear, rather for when you're going out hiking and camping and fishing, make sure you are geared up. Also, if you need a, uh, an emergency kit you know, first aid kit for your prep bag, for your go bag, or for your hiking and camping equipment. Tim can help you put that all together. Uh, he also has backpacks for if the kids are going back to school, finally. Uh, these are real military-grade backpacks. They're going to last a lot longer than the cheap ones from the big box stores. So head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So there was one part uh, over the weekend where the Senate Democrats stepped onto the floor Saturday morning, and when they did... They had no idea that the House impeachment managers were about to drop a political grenade in their laps. This is reporting by Politico that found a, uh, or that said that a brief schism that threatened to throw Donald Trump's trial into chaos. House and Senate Democrats quickly agreed to put the pin back in. House Democratic managers and the former president's lawyers ducked the issue of witnesses nearly as soon as it was raised. And Senate Democrats then approved the turnaround. So instead of a weeks long drama over trial witnesses that risked upending the Senate schedule, um, a widely known statement instead from one House Republican was entered into the record. So I was watching this on Saturday and I wasn't really clear because they started it up, you know, like nine or 10 a.m., I forget. And I'm watching and then they go into a recess. And what had what had happened was the House managers had said, we want to call witnesses, at which point the Republican said, the lawyer for the president said, okay, I got a bunch of witnesses I want to call. And Democrats realized, okay, if this occurs, then we're not going to be able to get our agenda through for weeks. This is going to consume the Senate for weeks. And uh, so they, they, they called a, a timeout and they went back and they huddled up and then they hammered out some agreement where they basically came back and said, OK, so there was this congresswoman Herrera Butler, uh, Jamie Herrera Butler, and she was present uh, with the uh, the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy when he calls President Trump and says, hey, President, uh, we got people rioting, call them off or whatever. And Trump makes a comment to the, uh, somewhere like along the lines of, well, I guess they're a little bit more upset about the election results than you are. And that was perceived to be, and I think rightfully so, I, I think it's accurately perceived to be, um, a refusal to do anything to help him. And 
that's what happened, right? He, he didn't do anything to help McCarthy. So um, they get that. And that statement was already known. Herrera Butler had already said this like weeks ago. So it was in the paper back home in Washington. And so that became the, quote, witness that they wanted. And then they claimed victory like, well, we got her statement in the record. And that's really what we were trying to get. Yeah, I'm not so sure. But uh, it, it ended up undermining their credibility once again, their credibility. So maybe I would be a little bit more open to their arguments if they had any credibility. And uh, speaking of credibility, here is Mitch McConnell, <laughs> which uh, I'm just like, just separate yourself from your opinion of Mitch McConnell. Um, I tend to agree with a lot of what he said. Okay, first off, he says that what happened on January 6th was a disgrace. American citizens attacked their own government. They used terrorism to try to stop a specific piece of domestic business they did not like. True. That's true. And I know this is going to anger some Trump uh, supporters, but that is true. They attempted to use violence in order to prevent something. Heck, it was called stop the steal, right? So they, they attempted to prevent some legislative action from occurring. Fellow Americans beat and bloodied our own police. True. They stormed the Senate floor. True. They tried to hunt down the Speaker of the House. True. They built a gallows and chanted about murdering the Vice President. All true. Yeah, I mean, they live streamed this stuff, too. There's video, right? This is why it was so easy to catch so many of them. They did this because they'd been fed wild falsehoods by the most powerful man on earth. Because he was angry, he lost an election. Sorry. Um, true. I think that's true, too. I think a lot of this stuff was inspired and, and uh, fomented by the QAnon crazies. I think that has a lot to do with it, uh, which you really don't hear a lot of focus right now on the QAnon aspect of all of this. I, and I know this is going to sound conspiracy theory uh, uh, territory itself, but I'm not so sure that the whole QAnon thing wasn't specifically designed to discredit a lot of these supporters. Because if you had to create a... Uh, if you had to create the, the correct circumstances, the environment for what happened to have occurred, and you wanted to discredit Trump supporters, QAnon did it, like, to perfection. Former President Trump's actions preceded the riot were a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. The House accused the former president of, quote, incitement. That is a specific term from the criminal law. Let me just put that aside for a moment and reiterate something I said weeks ago. There's no question, none that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. I agree. I don't think you can look at his comments uh, from after the election until January 6th and come to any other conclusion. He was promoting these ideas 
And uh, I, I tend to like, does he, well, did it rise to the legal definition of incitement? No, I don't believe so. But as McConnell says, is he morally responsible? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think he bears responsibility. Yes. Was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. The issue is not only the president's intemperate language on January 6th, It is not just his endorsement of remarks in which an associate urged, quote, trial by combat. It was also the entire manufactured atmosphere of looming catastrophe, the increasingly wild myths, myths about a reverse landslide election that was somehow being stolen some secret coup by our now president. Now, I defended the president's right to bring any complaints to our legal system. The legal system spoke. The Electoral College spoke. As I stood up and said clearly at that time, the election was settled. It was over. But that just really opened a new chapter of even wilder, wilder, and more unfounded claims. The leader of the free world cannot spend weeks thundering that shadowy forces are stealing our country and then feign surprise when people believe him and do reckless things. Now, sadly, many politicians sometimes make overheated comments or use metaphors. We saw that, that unhinged listeners might take literally, but that was different. That's different from what we saw. This was an intensifying crescendo of conspiracy theories orchestrated by an outgoing president who seemed determined to either overturn the voters' decision or else torch our institutions on the way out. The unconscionable behavior did not end when the violence actually began. Whatever our ex-president claims he thought might happen that day, whatever reaction he says he meant to produce by that afternoon, we know he was watching the same live television as the rest of us. A mob was assaulting the Capitol in his name. These criminals were carrying his banners hanging his flags and screaming their loyalty to him. It was obvious that only President Trump could end this. 
He was the only one who could. Former aides publicly begged him to do so. Loyal allies frantically called the administration. The president did not act swiftly. He did not do his job. He didn't take steps so federal law could be faithfully executed and order restored. No. Instead, according to public reports, he watched television happily, happily, as the chaos unfolded. He kept pressing his scheme to overturn the election. Now, even after it was clear to any reasonable observer that Vice President Pence was in serious danger, even as the mob carrying Trump banners was beating cops and breaching perimeters, the president sent a further tweet attacking his own vice president. Now, predictably and foreseeably under the circumstances, members of the mob seem to interpret this as a further inspiration to lawlessness and violence, not surprisingly. Later, even when the president did half-heartedly begin calling for peace, he didn't call right away for the riot to end. He did not tell the mob to depart until even later. And even then, with police officers bleeding and broken glass covering Capitol floors, he kept repeating election lies and praising the criminals. In recent weeks, our ex-president's associates have tried to use the 74 million Americans who voted to reelect him as a kind of human shield <clears throat> against criticism. <clears throat> Using the 74 million who voted for him as a kind of human seal, shield against criticism. Anyone who decries his awful behavior is accused of insulting millions of voters. That's an absurd deflection. 74 million Americans did not invade the Capitol. True. Hundreds of rioters did. True. 74 million Americans did not engineer the campaign of disinformation and rage that provoked it. One person did. Just one. All right. So I tend to agree with most of what Mitch McConnell outlined there, although... God, he takes forever to say his speech. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Maybe I'll tell you what, because I've got the other uh, another chunk of audio. It's shorter, but I might just speed it up if that's OK with everybody. I might just I might just speed up the, <laughs> the speech because he speaks so slowly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, now, by the way, here's something I'm going to say very slowly for you. Growers hemp 
GrowersHemp.com. That's the website you need to go to, GrowersHemp.com. And if you use the promo code LOVE in honor of Valentine's Day, use the promo code LOVE and you can pick up the bomb, which is the topical salve, right? Um, you pick up the bomb, buy one, get one. The promo code is LOVE. Get a Valentine's Day buy one, get one free discount. All right, see the website for the details. The website, again, is growershemp.com. This is North Carolina Farmers. Uh, This is their company. They set it up. They control the entire process from uh, seed all the way to shelf. Growers Hemp, full-spectrum hemp extract. I take some of the drops uh, before I go to bed, these CBD drops. I take them, and I sleep more deeply than I ever have before. But they've got other stuff, like like the topical, the bomb. So go check it out at growershemp.com. Promo code LOVE for a buy one, get one discount. Uh, As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer that GovCo requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. That's growershemp.com from North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. So uh, McConnell then lays out the reason why he would vote to acquit, right? So he lays out all of this argument about how Trump is responsible for what happened on January 6th, but he's going to vote to acquit, namely because the Senate has no authority to convict a person who is no longer in elected office. And the Constitution specifies which offices, president, vice president, and quote, all civil offices of the United States, that these are the offices that are subject to to impeachment. It also lists why somebody can be impeached. And those reasons are treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. Congress cannot convict for reasons besides those. It therefore follows that the list of persons in that same sentence is also exhaustive. There's no reason why one would list, one list would be exhaustive, but the other would not. Article 2, Section 4 must limit both why impeachment and conviction can occur and to whom. And to whom. If this provision does not limit impeachment and conviction powers, then it has no limits at all. Exactly. Exactly. The House has sole power of impeachment and the Senate's sole power to try all impeachments would create an unlimited circular logic empowering Congress to ban any private citizen from federal office. Right. And to me, this is the goal. They want Trump convicted and they want him to be barred from ever running again. That's the point here. And that's and I don't know if they thought they were actually going to be able to win this argument, but that's the point. The problem, though, is that what would stop somebody from doing this or, or, a, or a, a Congress? What would stop them from doing this for any private citizen, for, for anybody, right? Somebody is mounting a campaign and you don't like what they're doing and they, you, you deem them to be a threat. And so why not? You, you can preemptively impeach them for something. And it's not a judicial process. 
It's a political one. This is, a to me, like, and I know this is hard for people to think like, oh, well, that's just crazy. Nobody would put up with that, right? Think about what we've just seen, right? We've just seen the abuse of these powers and such. We've just seen two impeachments of a guy that, you know, for whatever you think about it, like, they tried to impeach him because of his bad behavior, and that like that that behavior was never even contemplated as possible before Trump. So you know this is the slippery slope argument. Yes, but you maybe you can't fathom this happening right now. But if you uh, allow this to become the norm, you fast forward twenty thirty years. Why wouldn't you be impeaching political enemies that aren't even in office? What about here's one. How about campaign managers? Could you impeach them? Why not? It's just a political process. People who work for a uh, for a particular president. How about could we go after members of Trump's cabinet? How about that? Could we start impeaching them too? Sure, why not? All right, let me get back to McConnell and let me speed this up. Now that's an incredible claim. But it's the argument that the House managers seem to be making. One manager said the House and Senate have, quote, absolute, unqualified, <clears throat> jurisdictional power, end quote. Well, that was very honest, because there is no limiting principle in the constitutional text that would empower the Senate to convict former officers that would not also let them convict and disqualify any private citizen. An absurd end result to which no one subscribes. Article 2, Section 4 must have force. It tells us the president, the vice president, and civil officers may be impeached and convicted. Donald Trump's no longer the president. Likewise, the provision states that officers subject to impeachment and conviction shall be removed from office if convicted. Shall be removed from office if convicted. As Justice Story explained, the Senate, upon conviction, is bound in all cases to enter a judgment of removal from office. Removal is mandatory upon conviction. Clearly, he explained, that mandatory sentence cannot be applied to someone who's left office. The entire process revolves around removal. If removal becomes impossible, conviction becomes insensible. In one light, it certainly does seem counterintuitive that an officeholder can elude Senate conviction by resignation or expiration of term, an argument we heard made by the managers. But this underscores that impeachment was never meant to be the final forum for American justice. Never meant to be the final forum for American justice. Impeachment conviction, and removal are a specific intra-governmental safety valve. It is not the criminal justice system where individual accountability is the paramount goal. Indeed, Justice Story specifically reminded that while former officials were not eligible for impeachment or conviction, they were, and this is extremely important, still liable to be tried and punished in the ordinary tribunals of justice. Put another way, in the language of today, President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office. 
as an ordinary citizen, unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he's in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yet. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. I believe the Senate was, not, was right not to grab power the Constitution doesn't give us. And the Senate was right not to entertain some light speed sham process to try to outrun the loss of jurisdiction. It took both sides more than a week just to produce their pretrial briefs. Speaker Pelosi's own scheduling decisions conceded what President Biden publicly confirmed, a Senate verdict before Inauguration Day was never possible. Now, Mr. President, this has been a dispiriting time. But the Senate had done our duty. The framers firewalled, helped up, held up again. On January the 6th, we returned to our posts and certified the election. We were uncowed. We were not intimidated. We finished the job. And since then, we resisted the clamor to defy our own constitutional guardrails in hot pursuit of a particular outcome. We refused to continue a cycle of recklessness by straining our own constitutional boundaries in response. The Senate's decision today does not condone anything that happened on or before that terrible day. It simply shows that senators did what the former president failed to do. We put our constitutional duty first. All right, so there it is. That's Mitch McConnell's argument. And I know this is going to anger some people, but I'm going to say it. I tend to agree with the argument that McConnell lays out. And that's not a defense of Mitch McConnell as a person, as a leader, his politics or anything. I just find his argument to be most closely in line with my thoughts on this. I do think Trump is morally, uh, practically responsible uh, to a large degree. Um, do I think that the Senate should have convicted? No, I do not, because I don't think you should be able to convict people once they are out of office, particularly when uh, you rush through the impeachment proceeding and you doctor evidence in the process. I think if you want to go after Trump in the uh, as a private citizen, there are options for you to do so in the legal system. And that's where you should take it and make your arguments in court. And by the way, that's the same thing I said to the Trump supporters <laughs> or and uh, the Trump legal team. It's the same thing I said about the election being uh, rigged, that whole argument. If you've got the evidence, bring it forward and let's see it. Bring it into court and let's see it. So um, now if you are looking to see your house get sold, then you need to see Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team put them to work for you they will get your house sold quickly and for more money this is what they do the phone number is 828-333-4483 that's 333-4483 the website is mountain home 
HomesForHeroesHunt.com. She is the official and only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. Uh, this is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from realtor commissions. It goes to police officers, firefighters, uh, healthcare professionals, military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees, as well as educators. And she's given back somewhere in the neighborhood of about $800,000 so far. Uh, And that's without even a major military installation in her territory. So give her a call. Get your home sold fast. And for more money, if you're looking to buy, she's got homes in all price points. She has buyers lined up and she outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call and then start packing. So I came across this story the other day. This is just a quick side trip here into polling, which was done for the president. This was at Politico. Former President Donald Trump has blamed the election results on these uh, claims of fraud and malfeasance, right? But at the top levels of his campaign, there was a detailed autopsy report that circulated among his political aides, and it paints a far different and more critical portrait of what led to his defeat. The postmortem, copy of which was obtained by Politico, says that Trump suffered from voter perception that he was not honest or trustworthy and that he was crushed by disapproval of his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. And while Trump spread the accusations of ballot stuffing in heavily black cities, the report notes that he was done in by hemorrhaging support from white voters. The 27-page report, written by Trump's chief pollster, Tony Fabrizio, shows how Trump advisors were privately reckoning with his loss. It is unclear if Trump has seen the report, according to Politico, uh, this article that was published a couple of weeks ago. The findings are based on an analysis of exit polling in 10 states, North Carolina being one of them, but these are all swing states that were polled, and it zeroes in on an array of demographics where Trump suffered decisive reversals in 2020 when compared to 2016, including among white seniors, the same group that helped propel him into the White House in the first place. The autopsy says Trump saw the greatest erosion with white voters, particularly white men and that he lost ground with almost every age group. In the five states that flipped to Biden, Trump's biggest drop-off was among voters ages 18 to 29 and among voters 65 and older. Do you think that might have something to do with the pandemic response? Because who's the most vulnerable population? And if they don't think that Trump is doing enough to save their lives, do you think they may have let him go? Suburbanites who bolted uh, from Trump after 2016 also played a major role. The report says that the former president suffered a double-digit erosion with white college-educated voters across the board. Meanwhile, advisors to former Vice President Mike Pence brought in multiple pollsters to brief him on their conclusions after the election. Uh, Among the takeaways was that Trump was gaining during the final weeks of the race and his rallies had helped propel Republicans running in the House and Senate uh, and in their races. But the pollsters also made it clear that while there was substantial support for Trump's policies, there was widespread exhaustion with the president. Within Trump's inner circle, Fabrizio, the pollster, had long espoused the belief that Trump needed to prioritize the pandemic in order to win re-election. Crisis management, by the way, this is now me. So that's the political piece or the highlights from it. Crisis management 
you can live or die by this. If you're an elected official, you know, you're in, in the executive uh, branch, if you do not handle crises or uh, you know natural disaster, you don't handle it well, you can you, you're almost guaranteed to lose. Okay, you have to handle it well. You have to handle it competently, and if you're not then you're going to suffer at the uh, at the polls. Now, maybe you've built up enough of a margin where uh, that erosion doesn't lead to your ouster, right? But if it's close, you got enough people that were for you and they've now flipped. Be- now, and, and the same holds true if you handle it well. If you do well, then you may have won people over that thought, you know what, I'm not really sure about this Trump guy, but he has handled the coronavirus pandemic pretty well, right? And then they vote for you. So uh, that's not surprising to me, and it's not surprising that he lost a lot of, and I know this doesn't, people don't believe this. If you are like a diehard Trump supporter, you're not going to believe this. Even though this was polling that was done for Trump, you you won't believe it. And I'm not trying to convince you uh, otherwise. I'm just pointing this out to people who, uh, who, are, who are interested and have an open mind about what you know, what the polls uh, actually showed. So uh, two Americas, two statements on the impeachment trial. You got Biden and Trump. So now that uh, Trump clears this impeachment trial, he's acquitted uh, 57 to 43, which once again, 57 voted to convict. So more than half. Uh, But you need two thirds, right? You need two thirds. Biden is hoping everybody will just move on now. This is according to Karen Townsend's piece at hotair.com, and she's got both of the statements posted up there, uh, and just one piece from Biden's statement here that says, this sad chapter in our history has reminded us that democracy is fragile, that it must always be defended, that we must be ever vigilant, that violence and extremism has no place in America, and that each of us has a duty and responsibility as Americans, and especially as leaders, to defend the truth and defeat the lies. And... This uh, that is how we end this uncivil war and heal the very soul of our nation. That is the task at hand, and it's a task we must undertake together as the United States of America. Now, watch as I sign all these executive orders <laughs> in, right, in in protection of democracy. So violence and extremism has no place in America, she says. Uh, This is, again, Karen Townsend at HotAir.com. She says most Americans would agree with that statement. However, Biden loses credibility as he now opines about the violence and extremism because he remains silent during the many months of violence and destruction in the streets of major cities across America. Right. This is why I say the, the Democratic Party has no moral superiority. Right. They have they have no credibility on this issue. They're trying to get it back. They're trying to, you know, grab the mantle of pro-law and order kind of party. They're trying. It's not working. Just like Republicans are trying to grab the mantle of, uh, you know, education with the reopen schools uh, narrative. So the parties are trying to to make inroads uh, with these populations that may have been turned off by prior messaging. Sure. Is it going to work? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure because you got a vice president right now, Kamala Harris, who literally, uh, uh, you know, encouraged people to donate for the bail money for the rioters to get out during the summer of our discontent. (laughs) So I'm not so sure that they're in a position to be lecturing anybody about what is an acceptable form of protest and when we should be condemning violence and uh, when we shouldn't. Because I guess if it's your own allies, it's much harder to condemn the violence. And this is, look, it is, it's 
difficult to uh, to beat up, quote, your own side. Because when you do that, you recognize your words are going to be used by your enemies to attack these allies. I recognize that. I recognize that as I'm saying these things, I'm going to anger people that are, quote, on my side, but I'm also going to be giving ammo to people that I completely oppose. And they're going to say, look at this. Even Pete Callender says that uh, Trump was responsible. Not that anybody cares what I have to say about it, but like they're going to say that. That's part of that's part of the price, which is why I was so angry when it happened, because you just all these all these Trump supporters like you just gave the left all the reasons they needed all of them. Just an incredibly stupid thing to do. Just set back whatever goals you had to achieve. Just set them all back. Just terribly. Just a really dumb thing to do. Kind of like. Uh, you know, buying a tool that you're going to use once. Why would you do that? That's dumb. Why not just rent one? Go to General Equipment Rental, rent the tool that you need, do the project, and then bring it back. Doesn't that seem much smarter? And cheaper too, by the way, right? Way cheaper. So whether you're a contractor and you just need this jo- uh, uh, the piece of equipment for one job, or you're a homeowner and you just need it for the one project, uh, whatever the case, go to General Equipment Rental. Tell them you heard it here on the show. GeneralRents.com is the website. Also, if you're thinking about buying a piece of yard equipment, homeowners, talking about you guys, uh, like myself included here, I've been looking at their website for my uh, spring yard work that is approaching when Christy and I get into our house, I'm going to have to repopulate my uh, <laughs> my barn full of uh, of power tools. And what I like, I got to be honest, I like the battery powered stuff. I do. I've had the gas powered stuff and I've had the, the battery powered and I like the battery powered. Now, it doesn't matter. Whatever your choice is, whatever your preference is there, general equipment has gas and battery powered equipment they are your official licensed husqvarna and honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider so uh, head on over to general equipment rental for your rental needs but also purchasing and uh, remember the website generalrents.com they're in weaverville at the intersection of merriman avenue and reams creek road family owned and operated for three generations general equipment rental think outside your toolbox all right so what is mitch mcconnell doing here Well, George Will, writing at the Washington Post, says that that McConnell knew that if he voted on Saturday to convict Donald Trump, he would have been lionized briefly by many of McConnell's detractors, who are legion, okay? There are a lot of people that don't like Mitch McConnell. And on the left, he would have gotten some kudos. And just like uh, U.S. Senator Richard Burr is getting some kudos, which is funny to me because the very same people that are now like, Richard Burr standing up for principles, like he's the kind of elected official Republicans need to be putting in office and yet this was the guy that they wanted to uh, to censure and impeach and imprison because he sold stock uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Remember? So like they they don't care. This is what I mean. You have no credibility to tell us what the moral standards are and are not because you guys shift this stuff depending on whatever the current circumstance requires. So McConnell's argument against impeaching a a former president is that impeachment is a narrow tool for a narrow purpose, right? To protect the country from government officers. So Trump is constitutionally not eligible for conviction. And convicting him might imply a Senate power 
that has no limiting principle. You'd be able to convict and disqualify any private citizen. Okay, so McConnell knows that Trump's grip on the Republican base, its activist core, which is disproportionately important in the primaries, that that grip that Trump has on the base is still unshaken. Now, it's not unshakable, but it is still right now unshaken. And if you doubt that, go take a look at social media, right? Trump supporters are all over the place claiming victory, celebrating. I saw one, somebody did a Valentine's Day to Donald Trump in <laughs> for him being acquitted, which, uh, okay, so like they, they love him. And you can't alienate that part of the base. Trump might soon have a bruising rendezvous with prosecutors in the Southern District of New York, but his base still loves him. George Will goes on to say Trump has, or uh, McConnell rather, has his eyes on the prize, which is 2022, perhaps the most crucial non-presidential election year in U.S. history. It might determine whether the Republican Party can be a plausible participant in the healthy oscillations of a temperate two-party system. Uh, He says Republican Senate primaries for open seats in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, among others. Um, He remembers, too, uh, if, if many don't, he remembers the names of Delaware's Christine O'Donnell, or Missouri's Todd Aiken, or Indiana's Richard Murdoch, or Nevada's Sharon Angle, right? These were Senate candidates who won their primaries and then squandered Republican Senate nominations in 2010 and 2012. And this was before McConnell began wielding the National Party's resources in defense of its interests in state parties' decisions. That's what, this was the Tea Party, right? Remember McConnell came in and quashed the Tea Party. Christine O'Donnell, she was the one, I'm not a witch. (laughs) Remember that one? Todd Aiken with the legitimate rape comment. Um, Sharon Angle with you. Second Amendment remedies, right? These candidates who got through the primary because they appealed to the base, but then they couldn't win the general election. McConnell, a a McConnell vote to convict Trump would have made it easier for Trump's people to cast the 2022 contests as a binary Trump versus McConnell choice. And so by not voting that way, he's hoping to avoid that. Will it be successful? We shall see. That is a wrap for the episode. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for letting me be part of your day. Thank you. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Talk with you later. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 